This is No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. Thank you for finding us again on No Stop Lights. I want to thank our sponsors, as we always do, Pepsi of Florence, courtesy of the, or, or responsible for the Celsius, the healthiest energy drink on the market, um, and the life water, healthiest water on the market. Pepsi of Florence, Carolina Bank, Mickey Finns, Marlboro Pity Electric Co-op, Francis Marion University, McLeod Health, McCall Farms, Victor's PLC Commercial. Um, I've got with us a guest. And we do some of these podcasts with a guest, some without, some without a guest. I've known this guy a long time. Um, we, we discuss a lot of the sector of the economy he's a part of and, um, and very informed about in South Carolina. Nick Cremitis is the president, or is it CEO, Nick? CEO. CEO of the South Carolina Realtors Association. I got to know these guys uh, when I was in Columbia. When I ran for lieutenant governor, they were supportive. They felt I was very pro-business, pro-housing, pro-economic um, growth. And uh, we kind of developed a friendship as a result of that. Um, there's not a week that goes by on Wake Up Carolina that we don't discuss housing. It's such a major part of our economy. I'll give an example. I come from manufacturing. My family in the early 60s, my father started a truck body manufacturing business. And if you went back and correlated the growth in our business, the good times in our business, it's when housing was doing good. When housing was in decline and having struggles and issues for whatever reason, um, our business began um, suffering as a result of. So Nick and I are going to, uh, I don't have a script. I don't have prepared questions. We didn't have the meeting before the meeting and discuss what we would um, talk about. He's an honorable man and a a very informed um, advocate for housing, understands the economy. Um, Nick, before I ask you about some of the um, realities of housing, some of where we are in these cycles and and, and I guess the cyclical activity of, of, of capitalism, how did Nick Cremitis end up president of the South Carolina Realtors Association? That, that's a long story. It may be subject of another uh, podcast, Ken. Um, I'm the uh, son of uh, a Greek immigrant, uh, Greek immigrants who ended up here in Florence uh, more than 50 years ago. Um, I've been in Florence uh, my, almost my entire life. I'm 56. I've been here 55 years and uh, proud to be a, uh, a resident of the PD, proud of my hometown, and uh, glad to be on your pro- program today. So you end up responsible for advocating on behalf of housing in South Carolina, realtors in particular. Why should someone pay a commission and enlist the services of a realtor if they're buying or selling at home? Uh, that one's easy, Ken. The market is one of the most, uh, is in one of the most turbulent times it's ever been. And, and whether the real estate market is up or down or, or, or good or bad, uh, the real estate transaction is one of the most over-regulated transaction, financial transactions on the face of the, on the, face of the earth. Um, and in this market, particularly right now, if you're a first-time home buyer, you're coming into the transaction with no equity, right? You're coming in there with high interest rates, historic low inventory levels, and you need a professional realtor to navigate that market for you because any, anybody can, can make an offer on a property, but you want to make sure that your offer is accepted, is, is the offer that gets on top of the pile. And the way you do that is by knowing the market conditions, knowing the wants and needs of not only the, uh, the buyer, but also what the seller is, is expecting from the transaction, 
navigating the inspections and, and all the other steps that it takes to get that property to closing, uh, it's, it's never been more important than to uh, hire an, a competent expert in, in your market. There are folks who out there who are advocating saying, hey, the Internet has replaced the need for uh, a real estate agent, that you can, you can find your house on, on the Internet. Well, um, with all due respect to, to those that advocate that, you know, buying a home isn't like, you know, purchasing a bottle of water on, on Amazon. Um, there's a lot more uh, 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 at stake financially uh, as well as emotionally because a home is not just a house. It's where you uh, uh, raise your family. You, you put a, a roof and shelter over your, your children's head. Um, your partner, your, your wife, your spouse uh, make that home into, into a real, uh, that house into a real home. Um, and a, 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 a trusted advisor, your local realtor who knows that market, who knows that community, is going to, is going to make the difference for you in that transaction. Okay. Let, let's go to the cycles of the economy. Housing is no different than any other aspect of our economy. It has good times and bad times, ebbs and flows. Um, we'd love to find a place of equilibrium, but capitalism doesn't work that way. Greed and fear have always been dominant components of, of economic cycles. But I argue that something fundamentally different happened in 2008, that we live, we're, we're, we're at the Christmas season. I mean, it's A.D. and B.C., you know, I mean, if you're a Christian, you believe that, that there was the birth of a Savior, uh, and even the calendars demarked that. There's a lot of demarcation before the birth of Christ, after the birth of Christ. When I think housing and I think the, um, the entanglement the economy has with our government, it really goes back for me. And, and once again, I can't remember the New Deal. You know, that, that would have been far, uh, you know, before I was participating in the economy. But, but something happened in 08 that, that changed our economy, probably for the balance of, of mine in your life, in retrospect, how 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 right were things? How wrong were things? Did we did we do everything we should have done? What responsibility allows uh, lies with the housing sector as to what happened? And I'm not asking a question as much as I am offering up as a proposal. I think something fundamentally something fundamental happened in 2008 that led to a different understanding of our economy, housing included. Is that fair and accurate? I think so, Ken. You know, housing tends to be a lagging indicator of what's happening overall in the economy, right? So when the commercial sector, when industry is creating jobs, when manufacturing is expanding and growing, like we've seen in South Carolina over the last 10 years, uh, jobs create the need for homes. Uh, and our friends in, in the home building industry say jobs are, are, or homes are where jobs sleep at night. And, and what we've seen, what we saw in 2008 was that, that, that formula almost flipped, flipped on its head. We saw uh, lending practices that were unsustainable. We saw uh, growth and development, uh, new construction that was uh, unsustainable. The initiatives that, that, that government had created uh, to in, increase the levels of home ownership in the country uh, resulted in individuals getting loans that probably should not have gotten loans. Uh, the underwriting practices back then were, were fundamentally different than they are today and created a scenario. You know, 
real estate is pretty simple. It's it's really is supply and demand. There there's not much there's not much other science involved. And in 2008, we faced uh, a market that had huge oversupply, uh, almost a, a a broad a broad swath of what I would call almost fake buyers out there who were buying and flipping and 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 with no intent of long term investments or anything like that, and created this this glut in the marketplace. And when those dominoes fell into lending institutions and 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 the the rest of the economy, the housing market just just fell apart. Um, and and I think that there have been some pretty good lessons learned from that since then. Um, lessons like what, Nick? I mean, what, what have we learned? We're in December 2023, 15 years after what I'll say the Great Recession, the Great Reset. Um, property values took it on the chin. We saw asset depreciation. We saw a very stimulative Fed get involved. Um I would argue interest rates acted as somewhat of a stimulant for the last 10 or 15 years. What what are some things we've done to make sure 08 doesn't happen again? I mean, we're going to have good times and bad times. We're going to have economic cycles. But but have, have we corrected some of the things? I don't want to say housing got wrong, but, but the economy got wrong um, in the last 15 years. Yeah, absolutely. I believe in uh, if we start with uh, on the lending side, for example, um, you, you can't just drive through the drive-through at the bank and roll your window down and have a mortgage thrown <laughs> in your window. Uh, the underwriting uh, principles and requirements are, are much stricter now. If uh, banks have a a requirement that you have an, before they issue the loan that they that they basically prove you have the ability to pay the, back that loan, and the borrower can actually sue the bank under the federal laws that were passed if they didn't uh, provide that. And 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 from so from that standpoint, the default rate on loans that have been issued since I think 2010 or 11 have been below historic norms. And and even even in I don't know some folks have called this a mild recession or or they're waiting to call it a recession. I don't know what we're in right now, um, but there's definitely been a slowdown in the market. Uh, uh, very very slight increase in any kind of foreclosure activity. Nowhere near the levels that we saw uh, in 08. Um, I mean, there's literally a whole generation of, of realtors that that have never processed a, a foreclosed property or or conducted a short sale. Um, so I think, from an underwriting standpoint, those things have been cleaned up. I don't think I don't think we'll see a repeat of that. And the other contributing factor is that for the last 15 years, you know, 08 that Great Recession wiped out half of the mom and pop. Uh, home builders in the state. Uh, half of the realtors uh, dropped their membership in, in, in 2008. We went from 24,000 members in 06 uh, to 12,500 members by 2009. Um, and it's been, it's been growing ever since. So actually, today we're close, closer to, we're, we're right at 30,000 realtors state, statewide. Uh, but home building activity for the last 10 year, 15 years has been under. Um, uh, un, I mean, at one point we were looking at, at permit levels being at 50-year lows, um, and population growth, the migration to South Carolina has not not only has it not slowed down, but it has exploded, especially over the last five years. And our census predictions have all been blown out of the water. We've got more people living in South Carolina than ever before. Seventy percent of all that growth is 
coming to the coastal areas of, of the state. The PD certainly, hopefully, will be a beneficiary of that um, uh, in the years ahead. So there is a dearth of, of supply, uh, and, and, I, and I mean historic low levels of inventory. Um, I think in 08, there, there were more condos for sale on the coast than, were, than currently today we have prop, all properties added up together for sale all across the state don't add up to the, just the number of condos that were for sale back then. Um, so we've got a, um, uh, it's a good and bad problem. We're a very popular state, very low levels of inventory, um, and that demand is, is unfortunately increasing the value of the existing properties. We've seen a rapid uh, cost uh, evaluation there. The and we can go into a lot of other things. I mean, the well, I mean, let, let, let's go here for a second because I don't disagree with you. I think you're you're exactly right. I don't care what part of the economy you decide to be a, a, a participant in. Supply and demand is the reality. I mean, it's um, it's as old as the economy has, has been around itself. But but there, there's something that housing is dealing with, and we get the weeds here a bit, and that's affordability. You're talking about supply and demand. There is no doubt there's a shortage of supply. There is no question in the great state of South Carolina today, we don't have enough inventory for sale. We don't have enough inventory under construction as we speak. But in the housing, uh, excuse me, the, the, the home ownership phenomenon that has been a part of the American dream is becoming more unaffordable. What 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 needs to be done to address that? If, if Nick Cremitis were emperor of the world, and and not just advocating for realtors and home builders and and the housing sector in general, what what sorts of things do you think need to be done to create more affordable housing in South Carolina? Yeah, let me let me just talk for a minute about how bad the problem is, um, and it's. And it's not just an affordability problem. I think it's an affordability crisis. Uh, I, that's how bad I think it is in South Carolina. And let me tell you what's led us here, right? So we, I mentioned the 15 years of, of underbuilding. Um, since the outbreak of COVID uh, in 2020, home prices in South Carolina have increased by uh, 50% in the last three years. That's average price, not median. That's the average price of a home has increased 50%. If you talk about from 08, from the kind of the, the, the lowest levels of the recession, prices in South Carolina, the last number I saw have increased about 65%. Wow. Um, so factor in the interest rates, which uh, are starting to come down. We're, our national economist is predicting mid to low sixes by the spring, uh, early summer, which is good news. Um, but it doesn't fix any of the inventory problems that are out there. Uh, and, and during COVID, we saw what supply chain issues can do to the cost of everything. And that certainly affected every material, every labor, every cost that is associated with building a home. Um, and, and if you're a first-time home buyer, if you're an aspiring uh, member of, of that group of, of consumers, you know, we've got the Hispanic community is the, is the largest growing class of first-time home buyers, followed closely by African Americans, they 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 haven't been able to take advantage of this of this of this equity growth. So they don't have a house to sell. Take that extra equity that they've earned and put it into a new home. So they're starting from scratch, um, which makes it uh, if if you are, and we're not even talking about 
uh, low income. Um, we're talking about middle income South Carolinians who are unable to work close to where they live because of these affordability issues. And, and local governments are, are doing what they normally do when they're faced with a crisis. They have knee-jerk reactions to these problems. So the first reaction is, oh, well, let's stop issuing uh, permits for new construction. Let's figure out our infrastructure issues that we've been lagging behind for the last 20 years. Let's stop all new growth so that we can spend time fixing these, these existing problems. Well, it's almost like cutting your nose off to spite your face because, again, you shrink supply by, by stopping new growth. All it does is increase the value of what you got left, making it even more expensive. Um, and then you've got uh, uh, counties, uh, Greenville County, for example, is attempting to, to address these issues by requiring uh, minimum lot sizes for homes so that um, in order to avoid the, the rapid growth in, in their county, they want to slow the growth by saying that you can only build one house on a quarter-acre lot or half-acre lot, whatever the requirements are. I, 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 they, they vary from, from area to area. And all that does is, is create sprawl. It spreads out the, the water and sewer, the police and fire, the ambulance service, all the other, all the other services that local government provides, making it more expensive to service those, those areas. And it creates what? Traffic. It creates people sitting in their cars during rush hour, all the things that, that consumers get, get mad about. I know I get mad about trying to go across, um, uh, uh, just driving through Florence at 5 o'clock is, uh, is, can be a nightmare. And, uh, and, and I'm in Columbia every day, uh, and, and I get to see other parts of the state. It's certainly not Charleston <laughs> level of traffic yet. But these, these growth issues are, 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 are expanding in what I would call all of our metro areas around the state. And we've got, we've got to look at areas of infill. Uh, we did this, this incredible uh, missing middle study for the city of Greenville. Missing middle. Explain that. So we looked at the city of Greenville and saw that there were, uh, there were parcels of either underdeveloped or undeveloped properties within the city limits already that would be perfectly suitable for uh, mixed-use, multifamily, high-density, um, great uh, for, for tax revenue for the city, great for the businesses that would benefit from having more uh, walking traffic uh, in their communities. Uh, it was a win-win, but because of uh, either zoning laws that had been on the books for a long time or resistance uh, from uh, community uh, groups that are either NIMBY or uh, against higher density in their communities for fear of um, more traffic or things like that. Um, these, these properties have been left either unidentified or, or undeveloped. And, and we, along uh, with the local realtors and other business groups and other community leaders, um, including Upstate Forever, I believe, one of the conservation groups there, uh, participated in this and helped the city identify areas of the city that could be better utilized for growth instead of expanding into into rural areas. And because uh, we, I don't know if we ha we probably don't have time to talk about 
how the farming community is under a lot of pressure from sure. this growth and development that, that takes place and and how do we how do we preserve what we have in South Carolina but continue to grow, create jobs, create economic opportunities for all of our families. Uh, it's a it's a big challenge. So the anti-growth movement is alive and well in South Carolina. Every 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 boom cycle. So uh, every time the economy is is booming and growing, and 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 South Carolina is creating jobs, and 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 we have more home sales. The 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 NIMBYs, the NIMBYs are always there. Uh, they tend to go away in recessionary periods, but but the real but they leave a trail behind. Nick, and, and I want to go here for a second, if you don't mind. Some of the I served on local government. I mean, I think I understand. I mean, I had a big fancy office at the state house, but I had a hand on the steering wheel on county council. I mean, I, I, I literally controlled or had a part in controlling the direction of of growth, planning and zoning, property usage, uh, highest and best use. So. South Carolina has an activist element in its local governments centered around moratoriums and impact fees. Mm -hmm. How detrimental to affordable housing are impact fees and moratoriums? There's there's a place for impact fees. There's a state law that that provides for the proper use. Where where would be where would where would the realtor? Because you guys are smart. I mean, developers are plenty smart. Realtors are plenty smart. Uh, builders are plenty smart. Where where is a reasonable place to implement impact fees from your perspective? Impact fees are uh, provided for in state law to provide for major infrastructure needs. So if a say there's a, a new subdivision going in, you've got a thousand new homes. That thousand new homes would require a new fire station, would require a new school or, or a new police station. Uh, would require a new fire truck for the existing fire station. Uh, the cost of those improvements would be divided by the number of those homes, and the uh, the builder pays it through the permit process, but passes it on to the to the consumer ultimately. But there's a there's a benefit there. Direct there's a connection from the fee that the that the end user pays that benefits that that community, where a lot where Local government goes off off the reservation a little bit with impact fees is when they try to use the high-growing areas to help pay for infrastructure needs in the slow-growing areas, and that's a violation of the state law, and that's where they get off track with this. And, and so the community that is creating the need for the infrastructure improvements through their growth is the one who pays the impact fee. Um, and there are many communities around the state that have reasonable impact fees, um, uh, Mount Pleasant tends to be the, the one that we held out there as an example of the unreasonable uh, fees. Um, it's almost impossible for a, uh, a startup mom-and-pop business to open a, a retail shop in, in the town of Mount Pleasant um, because these transportation impact fees can, can be six figures for a 2,000-square-foot office space uh, or retail space. Um, and so we we uh, we stay involved at, at at the local level, making sure that these fees are number one they they comply with state law um, and raise concerns where we think these fees might have the opposite uh, intent of um, uh, slowing down business growth and slowing down community uh, development. But Ken, 
I've been to many of these public meetings at, 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 at city and county council uh, level where it's made pretty clear, uh, very clear, that the fees are being used to do just that, to, to stop growth, to limit growth, um, to keep uh, people uh, out of their uh, communities. And um, I, I remember testimony at, at a, uh, a Fort Mill uh, uh, in, in York County where they were talking about these impact fees. And, and at the time, the homes in, in Fort Mill were uh, very expensive. Half a million dollar, I think, was the medium price there. Um, and they were talking about an $18,000 uh, impact fee. And um, no, with no regard to affordability, no regard to um, uh, service industry or, or uh, working class uh, uh, citizens who would need to live in that community, um, they basically said, well, if you can't afford it, then, then we don't want you here. And so in a sense, I, I'm concerned that, that a lot of these tactics to stop and slow growth are, are discriminatory on their face. Um, and uh, you're, you're going you're gonna to see uh, a lot more challenges to these fees in, in the future uh, because of that. You mentioned commercial property. Let's stay there for a second. Has the realtors and the builders and the commercial property owners uh, in aggregate, have they given up on trying to do something about Act 388? <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean I, I was in Columbia when 388 became the law of the land, and I understand some of the intricacies, and we could do 10 podcasts on 388, the goods, the bads, the uglies. Yeah. But but it, it created, in my humble opinion, and you may disagree with me, a tremendous imbalance in the onerous property taxes toward commercial development and industrial property. You say what to that? Yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to laugh out loud when you said that. Um, I, I didn't expect to laugh on your podcast. But the, you're absolutely right. Uh, Act 388 uh, was uh, a mess uh, that's become so entrenched that you almost can't untangle it now. It, it's a little uh, bit like Obamacare at the federal level. I, I, I'm going to stick with what I know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know anything about health insurance. Fair enough. Uh, but uh, on, the, on, the, on the tax front, you know, we partnered with the state chamber just a couple of years ago and, and provided the, the General Assembly the most comprehensive look and study and research, hundreds of pages, uh, we worked with the Lincoln Institute to provide the legislature a a a A to Z breakdown of of Act 388, its impact on South Carolina, its impact on property taxes, impact on business owners and homeowners, and and the bottom line is Act 388 created a, a scenario where we have the cheapest, we have the lowest owner occupied rate in the country. Um, if we're not the lowest, we're the second lowest, but. On the commercial side, it, it, it put us in a position where we have, I think, the third highest commercial rate. Now, keep in mind, every state taxes their properties a little differently. Not everybody has a 4 and 6% tax ratio like we do. Should we? Um, should second homes be taxed at a higher rate no. than first homes? No. Um, Does, do, do members of the General Assembly believe that? I think that's the message that we're starting to spread. I think they're starting to get a little bit of traction. Um, now, keep in mind, I've been I've been trying to get traction on this discussion basically since 2007 because um, we saw the the effects of Act 388 almost Im immediately. Um, 
and it and I'm I'm worried that you know Act 388 was born out of that great recession, right? We we it, it, well, it was born out of what led us to the great recession. So in in 2006, where were we financially and economically in the state? It, real estate was booming, prices were going through the roof, um, and uh, you know the Post and Courier had headlines of. Of, of, of widows losing their properties to, to property taxes. And, and bad facts make... Coastal property in particular. Bad facts make for bad laws, and, and the legislature reacted to that with Act 388. Um, and it's, it's created a situation where if you're investing in real estate and, and you're only looking at that ROI, that bottom line return, um, and there's no emotion in it, you're more than likely to invest in North Carolina or Georgia, uh, a, a, a rental property in those states because your taxes are going to be quite a bit less. In South Carolina, if you had two similar properties, uh, one was owner-occupied, the other was rented as a second home, the taxes are going to be almost three times difference. That's pretty much accurate uh, across the state. Um, but there is... Um, uh, there, there is. Uh, I, I know that uh, there's been interest in the Senate. Um, uh, I know uh, Senator Leatherman, before he passed, had a strong interest in this. Uh, Senator Sean Bennett from uh, Somerville uh, has an interest in this. And with the new leadership in the House uh, under the Speaker Speaker Murrell's leadership, I'm I'm hopeful that we'll have an opportunity. Not we're January will be the second half of a, of a two year session. I don't expect uh, something as big as this to come up in a, in in during that time. But in the twenty five twenty six session, there, we might have an opportunity to address it. When you included the research that you guys and and you gave me a copy of that, it's very interesting, very very entailed, very very specific. Did it offer any proposals as to how we could address some of the imbalance? It did. I mean, it identifies the problem, no doubt, but but does it address in in meaningful fashion how to get it to a a, a closer place of equilibrium? There there were a couple of suggestions. They they uh, one of the recommendations were to uh, treat uh, a property that was used for housing uh, as four percent. So uh, rental homes across the board across the board. Um, that would help address the affordability issues and, and keep escalating rents from escalating as fast as they have been. Um, another more controversial uh, response uh, was to, um, uh, to, to, to levy, basically lower the, the statewide 4 and 6% to 4% across the board, but levy a, a statewide property tax millage. That would be levied on all, 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 all parcels, um, and to be used for schools, to be used for uh, education. Because uh, right now, one of the things Act 388 did was create this conflict between the business community and our schools because the uh, the schools ha can't turn to homeowners; they can't put taxes on 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 homeowners. They have to turn to six percent property, which is created even more of an imbalance there. So a statewide millage would help alleviate that pressure on, on business property. Um, 
and um, might create some more balance there. You, you talk about imbalance. Let, let's stay there for a second. I, I've looked at the 2020 census. I've seen projections for the 2030. Nobody knows what the future holds, but it looks like some of the fast-growing areas are going to grow even faster. Some of the more rural areas in South Carolina probably, I mean, obviously not keeping up with some of the faster-growing areas. Long story short, um, I once upon a time presided over the Senate, and the Senate will, in the 2030 census, if things hold true to form, there will be about 80% of the members of the Senate from 20% of its counties. The, the Horry County growth, the Charleston County growth, the Beaufort County growth, the York County growth, the Greenville County growth, the Lexington County growth. Is that good for real estate when certain pockets in our state are growing at such a much faster rate than the state in balance? I, I don't know if it's good or bad. I know it's it'll be a another statistic there that that we have to 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 look is at. Is it something research. we should be concerned with? That's a good question, Ken. There, you, I guess in in a perfect world, you would want all forty six counties growing at the exact same rate and with the same um, uh, outlook. Um, but not every not every county is the same, uh, and and whether it's interstate, whether it's manufacturer base, whether it's uh, uh, schools or universities, there are, there are uh, uh, factors that have determined. I don't want to say winners and losers, sure. but there are factors out there that have that have determined these which counties are going to be growing faster than than, than others. Um, and I do think that our rural communities. Uh, need to be uh, uh, need to have a spotlight on them um, uh, for uh, not only for infrastructure needs and improvements, um, but and, and not and not just the typical infrastructure uh, improvements, things like access to the internet um, that uh, are we found obviously is absolutely critical during during COVID and 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 during uh, downturns. But there there is, I think, a strong need to have strong rural communities. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't think, and I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. I don't, there's something unique about our rural South Carolina that maybe we don't want it to look like Metro South Carolina, right? I think it's good to have the different balance there. And, um, I like, I like going out in the country and getting away from, uh, the, the city, uh, and, and, and enjoying those outdoor recreational activities that we have, which make South Carolina so unique and, and so attractive to people that are moving here. One of the five fastest growing states in, in America, um, a lot of in-migration. I spend some time on the coast. Um, there can't be anybody left in Ohio and Michigan. I'm convinced of that. They're all moved to the, <laughs> to the Grand Strand or Charleston or Beaufort County, one Hilton or the other, up and down Hilton, the Atlantic. Hilton the, the, yeah, Hilton Head, the Atlantic Coast. Let, let's stay there for a second. We're talking about affordability uh, a bit ago. Um Along with asset appreciation, along with the dramatic increases in the price of homes along the coast and in some of the other hotter, hot growth areas of South Carolina, there's ancillary costs. You've got property taxes. We talked a little bit about that. I mean, obviously, when a home is assessed at a value and then assessed 30% higher, the taxes get much uh, more expensive. The property insurance, the P&L, the casualty gets a, a lot more. In, in it. How concerned are you that as homes increase in price, Taxes, insurance, 
makes that um that American dream of home ownership even less affordable. I I think if if you were to ask me the the one thing that keeps me up at night right now about the future of of South Carolina real estate, obviously you've heard me talk a little bit. I think the 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 growth that we have here, the 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 strong economic base that we have here, the things that our leadership has done to attract business and make South Carolina attractive to business uh, has created a foundation for, for strong future growth. But some of the things that I worry about and, and right, and frankly, the, the one I worry about the most right now is property insurance. And that has nothing to do with, with valuation or price increases or anything like that. It's, it's almost unrelated to, to those factors. The, um, the, the Surfside collapse of that condo building in Florida uh, and subsequent hurricanes that went through Florida, the natural disasters that were in, in California over the last five years have resulted in a in a reshaping of the insurance market. Um, uh, as these as these national companies have withdrawn from those states, uh, those same companies are withdrawing and stopping uh, carrying insurance in South Carolina. Uh, in just the last year alone, we've seen the average coastal uh, uh, insurance uh, 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 policy increased by 25 percent, and and they and they've promised us that we're going to see that again next year. And if you're in a condo, if you're in a multifamily regime type property, um, I've, I've I have personally seen assessment letters going out to the condo owners saying, "Hey, we're going to have to issue a 600 percent assessment this year um, because of uh, the insurance." Um, uh, costs that, that we're seeing that are unavoidable. Are there any solutions? I mean, does, do, do the realtors or home builders or industry in general offer up any solutions? I've, I've sat down with Michael Wise, who is now the, the director of the Department of Insurance uh, for South Carolina. It, this is definitely on his radar screen. You know, the, 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 the number one way to reduce the cost of insurance is to have more carriers writing insurance, to have more competition in the space. In the last few years, we've seen carriers leaving that space, which is not good for the cost of insurance. I, I can tell you Director Wise and his team are actively recruiting um, carriers to South Carolina. Uh, when you see the data, when you see the, the from uh, natural disasters and, and hurricanes, knock on wood, South Carolina has been uh, relatively safe compared to uh, some of these other coastal states. And I'm hopeful that we're going to see some turnaround in that, Ken. But it's not going to be it's not going to be something that happens overnight. Let's um let's conclude with this because I don't think there's a good answer here, and I like to conclude with questions and commentary that there really aren't any good answers. We'll stew on this as we go home and and go about our business, builders and developers and and real estate agents and I mean the the business in general include a lot of. Very smart people. I mean, there's no doubt about it. People that get things done, improve the lots of communities, provide uh, employment opportunities and housing opportunities and pursuit of the American dream and home ownership. I mean, I could give a campaign spill about it. But, but the reality is I think the Fed forced addiction upon all of us with the interest rates acting as a stimulus. 
How do we get back to normalizing interest rates? You're not a Fed chair. I'm not a Fed chair. You're not on the board of governors at the Fed of New York. I'm not on the board of governors at the Fed of New York. I like cheap money as much as anybody else does. But in reality, it led to inflation. It led to a lot of um, uh, asset inflation that probably made housing less affordable than it is today. I'm not asking Nick Cremitis, chair of the Fed, what the interest rate long-term needs to be, but how dependent has housing become on an activist Fed and low interest rates? And how do we get back to normalizing that relationship? Yeah, I th- you're absolutely right. I think the the, the low interest rates were um, – uh, you had a whole generation of, of home buyers who uh, bought at a at, – at what they thought were were normal rates, right? Three, four percent, even five percent. And you and I knew that wasn't normal, Nick. And anyone who knows their history knows eight percent is the fifty-year average. <laughs> um, and there are even some uh, realtors out there who remember selling homes when it was fifteen, sixteen, seventeen percent interest rates. Um, and so, you know, life events create the need for real estate transactions, and by that I mean. You get transferred for a job. You get married. You have children. You de- your children leave. You have to downsize, uh, divorce, uh, marriage. Uh, all these all these categories that trigger the need for for transactions. Um, our chief economist uh, Lawrence Yoon, who's actually from uh, Columbia, he's the chief economist for the National Association. Um, he felt that the if you look at the the twenty four numbers. He, he's expecting a 12 to 13 percent rebound in, in home sales because of this pent-up demand, these pent-up transactions because of all these life events. The only one that, that he wasn't so high on was the divorce category because he believed that uh, there were more couples out there that loved their 3 percent mortgage more than they hated each other. <laughs> uh, uh, that's, that's economist humor for you. Uh, but he he is uh, he is very optimistic about uh, what the national market looks like next year. And the Fed announced last week that they're likely looking at three decreases next year, uh, which should bring that interest rate down uh, to the mid to low sixes. Um, and I think that six percent range, if that could be the long term normal, then then that's going to be a really good outlook for for real estate. I th- I think if we, I think we've already seen just this, the, the rate dropping below seven has triggered some market activity over the last couple of weeks. And going into the spring and, and the busier summer season, um, we're going we're gonna to run into that, that problem again where we have active buyers, sellers that may not be so interested in, in moving unless that interest rate drops down um, and, and, and still historic inventory. You talked about what keeps you up at night. What makes you feel bullish about real estate? Let's end with a good note. What what makes you feel bullish about real estate in South Carolina, residential and commercial? Well, I I think South Carolina, when you look at our numbers, I'm extremely bullish about our state. Uh, I love the Palmetto State. I'm a huge advocate for for South Carolina. And and we have what other states in our region, what other states in the country uh, are so jealous of. Uh, number one, we have great people. We have uh, a great economic base. We have leadership that understands you need to create jobs to 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 have a thriving uh, economy. But more importantly than just jobs, you know, com- um, uh, when we talk about 
what it means to uh, have a, a, a growing, thriving uh, 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 community, you've got to have good, good health care. You've got to have uh, uh, good education. You've got to have uh, uh, outdoor recreation and, and conservation. And, and when, you, when you put those legs of the stool all together, uh, you create a, a such such a growth opportunity for, for the state. We have um, uh, very low cost of living. Our wages are, are, are starting to climb. Uh, we still have a ways to go uh, uh, in that regard, but we're improving. We're catching the attention of a lot of these national companies and employers. The, um, uh, the, the Scout Project in Columbia is going to be a game changer for the Midlands. They've never seen that kind of of project that uh, that will transform the whole Midlands area, and and because but we're not just dependent on one sector or the other. We're so diverse across the state: tourism, agriculture, uh, manufacturing. Uh, our mom and pops, are, which create most of the jobs in the state, uh, are starting to thrive again. The the hospitality market is starting to to improve. Um, our tourism numbers are. Look at the. Check out the numbers from the Charleston and, and, and Columbia and Greenville airports. They've got record travelers coming through. It is um, something I'm extremely bullish on. I think South Carolina, as, as long as we can kind of keep government at bay a little bit and, and, and make them part of the solution instead of part of the problem, uh, and, and barring any you know, other national uh, bad news, South Carolina is poised, I think, to knock it out of the park. And you think the government? I mean, I know what. I mean, you, you got to be careful here because you interact with those guys a lot, and they all have their own set of beliefs, and and obviously some have agendas. But you believe that the the political leadership in South Carolina can be proactive enough to embrace growing as we've never seen this state grow before. I think so. I, I think we have um, some some uh, visionary leaders. Uh, I believe that there is a, a, a roadmap for success for the state. Um, and frankly, even, even, if they, even if they wanted to, to mess things up, it would be really hard because this train is rolling. And we're on a fast track, I believe, uh, to strong economic growth and activity in our state. Um, but I, I believe the, the leadership that we have, and there's always, you know, there's always examples of, 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 of uh, folks who are not on the train, uh, but I think the vast majority of, of local and, and state leadership uh, knows what kind of future South Carolina has, and they, they want to be part of the solution. Okay. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, Ken. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you for having me.